Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. That's what uh, the name Cain means. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, well, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. I want to talk to you this morning uh, about when life goes out of your control, how sin tricks us when life is out of control, and what God does when you and I are out of control. Um, nobody, nobody likes being out of control. In fact, I would, I'd argue that whenever we feel like we're out of control, uh, that's when fear comes in. I remember the very first car accident. Now, there have not been many by that. I'm not trying to say I've had many car accidents, but the, the first time I was in a car accident, I was about 18 years old. I had a job um, bagging groceries at the Tom Thumb in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area, and uh, we had an uncharacteristic uh, day of ice. And uh, you, do you remember when you first started driving how you thought you could control this hunk of metal. You, you know, it was fully under your, it was, it was all within your power. And so there I am in the parking lot, and um, I'm, I'm starting, and I, I see a car coming, and, and, and we're going about five miles an hour, so this is not a, this is not a tragic accident. It's just stupid. So, I, so the car coming, you know, it's about five, and, and I think I've, I've got control of this vehicle. And so I pushed the brake. Well, I didn't realize that when you push the brake on ice, what happens with the car is when an object is in motion, it will stay in motion until acted upon by an outside force. I had not yet learned the reality of the laws of physics. And so there I was, sliding right into the bong <laughs> other car to the tune of several hundred dollars. Nobody likes to be out of control. You don't like it when you have a baby and for the first time you have to hand that baby over to the sitter, right? Uh, you, you don't like it when you are laid off. Uh, you don't like it when you get married to some degree. I remember, now stay with me, uh, when I got married, 
my wife and I, we enjoyed it, but there was a part of me that I, I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into. And I remember even on our honeymoon, loving, you know, that we're, where we were, you know, all that, that we're married, but I, I remember thinking, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> I, felt, I felt out of control. Uh, some of our dearest friends um, are Walt and Tracy, um, Andrea and I, and all the way through college, we double dated. I think we've got a picture um, here of their family. Uh-oh, it's all stretched. Um, sorry. Uh, they don't look like that in real life. Wow, you have some interesting friends. Um, you can maybe see here uh, their daughter. There's, there's some print on the side there. And um, I remember when Walt and Tracy uh, Walt called me, and, and you know he was just in tears about having this son, and, and they were so excited. And, and Trent is now a, a nationally ranked um, cross country runner; he's fantastic. And then they had their daughter. Uh, that's Lindsay there in the middle. Whoops, there she is again, uh, Lindsay. And I remember just as excited, called me, you know, so excited that they had this little beautiful girl. And uh, about six months or so in, because you know when a baby is born, you, you're always checking, you know, is the baby okay? Are they making all the markers? Are they, are they moving? And about six months in, uh, they realized that something wasn't right with Lindsay. And what they came to find out is that she has uh, SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, which means that her mind is perfectly fine. She's as bright as she can be. Uh, but her body just does not have, nor will it ever have, the ability to use her muscles. And so that chair that you see her in is uh, that she's gone from a little chair to a bigger chair. And, and um, she's, she's never going to live what you and I would call a normal life. And I remember the conversation I had with Walt talking to him about that and how out of control he felt. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. The reality is, is that no one likes to be out of control. I mean, it's normal to want control and autonomy over your world. Or your world. I, I really do think that fear and control have an inverse relationship. So if you feel like you're in control, fear can stay down here. But if you feel like you're losing control, then what happens to us is fear goes up. So we, we, but we have a question that we have to ask. We have to work our way through is how do you handle it when life is out of control? That's not a crisis question. That's a very real question because so much of life is out of our control. I, I, a lot of us practice what I call duck spirituality. Do you know what duck spirituality is? Duck spirituality is, is on the surface, you are doing just fine. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Uh, but underneath the surface, you are paddling like, do you know, are you, right? It's like on the surface, I got it together, but just underneath, I'm not sure how I'm going to make this work out. Now, we're in this whole entire year, I'm, I'm calling this for us as a church, the year of the heart, and uh, this series specifically, trying to help you know your own heart and understand what is driving you. And so we're working through this series in naming the hungers and desires of the heart because I, I promise that your hungers are put there by God and they have a message for you. And we talked about it a little bit last week is that you, what your hungers tell you is that you were made 
for more. And if you don't do the work of knowing your heart, then what happens is, is you live at the mercy of the fears of the heart or you're at the mercy of someone else who does understand your heart and uses it in a way to control you. And so you put yourself at considerable risk if you don't take the time to know your own heart. In fact, the writer of Proverbs in the Old Testament, one of my favorite verses in um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, listen, above everything else, Take it as a a prime directive for your life. Above everything else, guard or keep your heart because it's the spring that all of your life comes out of. Now, I got to pause here before we jump into the depths of this message and just do a little bit of an aside for those of you like me who are followers of Jesus about, about hunger and about desire because many of us who've especially grown up around this Uh, even when I use the word desire, you're a bit troubled by that. You know, there's a little bit of you that goes, wait, 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 desire? And, And we struggle because sin is so often talked about as desire. And there's a a part of us, if you grew up like I did, where we just kind of gather. I don't know if someone explicitly teaches this. Maybe somebody does somewhere, but we kind of implicitly get the idea that desire is wild and out of control and that we have to figure out how to tame desire or get rid of desire. Now, I I hope you understand that that approach to life is actually a philosophical approach by life that is expressed by Buddhism that says, you know, hey, the problem in your life is you have desire and need to get rid of desire and then you'll stop suffering. And so it's not actually a Christian Christian way of approaching desire. It's a Buddhist way. I mean, if you want to be a Buddhist, I mean, go, go ahead, I guess, but Um, if you follow Jesus, like, we got to figure out what to do about our desires, and so I'd like, if I could, just for a second, just a little aside here, help you see that in a more ancient way, and I want to do that by introducing you to a a friend. Uh, This is a friend from a distance for me, and his name's Augustine. Some of you know who Augustine is. Augustine was a a theologian in the third century. He was the bishop of a city in what's now the, the country of Algiers on the very northern tip of Africa, And he was a a bishop there, wrote, he was very, very influential, still to this day, maybe the most influential uh, theologian of uh, the last 2,000 years, one of, at least. And and Augustine uh, lived a a very crazy life before he became a follower of Jesus. Had a praying mom who prayed for him, so moms who pray for your, your sons and your daughters, don't give up. Uh, she, his mom prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him, and, and, and he, he knew somehow that he needed God in his life in some way, and he, and he, but he just kept pushing God away. In fact, he, it, when he wrote his bio, autobiography, it's kind of one of the first biographies known as Confessions, this was the name of it. He, he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. <laughs> not yet. Just not yet. And so his mom just kept praying for him, praying for him, praying for him, and his life was not working very well. And um, he was sitting one day outside of his home, and he heard this little child's voice say, take up and read, take up, just this little chant, take up and read, take up and read. And he thought, you know, why would a little child say something like this? So unusual. And, and he'd been trying to figure out if God was try- at work in his life, and his mom's praying for him. And, and so he went, and he thought, maybe this is a message from God. So he went and he got the scriptures. He had a, a copy of the scriptures there. And he, he, I don't know if you've done this. I've done this. You know, you're looking for some, you're looking for a sign and you just open the Bible and go, boom. <laughs> and, 
And he opened the Bible and did boom. And what he read was, and I, I think we have it on the screen for you, in Romans chapter 13. It just started right here. I'll read what he read. He said, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, which he later would say, this was a description of my life to that point. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It was, it was his moment when he was converted to the way of Jesus. And he became this incredible theologian. Now, here's what he discovered. And this is the thing that he's famous for, and I want to commend it to you. Is he, he realized that the problem wasn't the fact that he had desires. It was what he desired. He realized it's not my hungers that are the problem. It's what I am using to satisfy my hungers that's hurting my life. This is how he said it. We've got it on the screen for you. He said, love, but be careful what you love. In other words, it's not that you love, it's what you love. And he discovered the gospel is a change in your life by changing what you love. Instead of loving yourself and loving um, how you feel and loving where you're going in your life, you exchange your loves for the love of God, and that points your life in a new direction because what you love, Augustine says, is what sets the course of your life, moves you forward. So how, how does, how does and, and then he realized, too, he was out of control with his desires. So how is it that sin tricks us when life is out of control? That's what this story is in Genesis chapter 4. Um, and, and if you know the story, i just recap it again. We read it for you. But it, here's Cain. Here's his brother Abel. And they come, and, and Abel is, you know, has the herds and the goats and the sheep. And Cable, uh, or Cain, Cable, uh, <laughs> Cain grows, grows things, right? And they both, now the text does not ever say that God asks for a sacrifice. The writers of the biblical narrative, especially of Genesis, are very precise and very concise. And when they say things, they're just layered with all kinds of meaning. And so you're meant to read and go, oh, wait, wait, God never told them to bring a sacrifice. So they, they, maybe it was their impulse, like they felt they needed to please the divine in some way, and there was something bigger, and I, I, we don't know. The text is ambiguous. And so they bring this offering, and it, in whatever way they perceived it, Abel's offering was accepted, at least in Cain's eyes, by the Lord. And, and on, on Cain's offering, the, the text says, he did not, God did not look with, look with favor. Now, it's, a little, it's really confusing, because why in the world does this happen? I mean, does God like meat more than bread? Does, is God on a paleo diet? I mean, what the, the commentators, honestly, are very, very puzzled by why it's there. And I, 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 think, um, I think that there's, there's more going on here. Here's, here's what I think it points to. I think it pointing to, because again, those, the, the writers are, are trying very carefully to make their point. I think it points to how we respond when something happens that's out of our control. Psychologists call it this. Uh, lawyers, when they're dealing with a, a legal case, call it this. Fiction writers call it this when they're crafting a story. They, they call it uh, uh, the inciting incident. 
Like, what started all of this? This inciting incident. Now, listen, if it was Cain and it was just, you know, Cain's mistake and Cain's issue, or if it's my mistake and it's my issue, well, okay, well, that's on me, right? And maybe I am angry, but if I'm just honest, it was my decision, so it's my consequences. And that's, again, the text is ambiguous, and I think it's ambiguous for a reason, because that's not what happens here. Something happens here to Cain and in Cain that he can't fully control. He, he brings this offering, and he thinks it's going to be good enough, but his brother is the one who gets the accolade. Anybody that has a brother that has ever felt like that? Or a sister? The, the world is not working for Cain, and he doesn't understand. His life, on some level, is out of his control. Now, that's a, very human, that's a very human experience. So what is his emotional response? Well, the text tells us in verse 5, So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. This is actually a, a Semitic uh, Hebrew uh, idiom that basically means that he was depressed. So he has, he has this inciting incident, and he's angry. Literally, the word means that he's hot. He's red. Uh, he's embarrassed. He's hurt. And then his face, the text says, his face is downcast. His face falls. You've, you've been through this, I'm, I'm sure. You've had something happen in your life. And you're hot about it. You're embarrassed about it. You're hurt by it. And you don't know what to do about it. And if someone looks at you in an honest moment, they look at your face and they read your face and they say, why are you so down? Like, this, is, this is where Cain is. Now, we know in the text what he's going to do with that emotion is he's, in verse 8, he's going to kill his brother because he's pounced on by sin and he's tricked by sin, which we're going to talk about more here in a second. Now, if you and I were just reading human history, I mean, this is the record of human history. Most of human history is verse 2 through 5 where this inciting incident happens, and then it skips these next two verses. We're going to look at verse 6 and 7 and goes straight to verse 8. And where, where the killing happens, I mean, we, we're, it's, it, this is why it's a human story, because it's on the news. You just pick up, look at a picture of Ukraine. I mean, this is, it's, this is without verse 6 and 7, we're just hum, it's just human history. Because verse 6 and 7 tells us, while we're trying to figure out what is it that sin does to us, and tr- how it tricks us when life is out of control, verse 6 and 7 tell us what God does when we're out of control. Because God comes here, and it's just very, very important you, you, you grab this. Uh, God comes to the situation and is the first actor in the situation. And he comes to Cain in a way that I can only describe as a wonderful counselor. Uh, Isaiah, the prophet, writes about the coming of Jesus, and he says that in the coming of Jesus, he'll be, and he uses this phrase, a wonderful counselor and the prince of peace. We used to sing a song about it when I was a kid. Wonderful counselor. And, and I don't know that we always think about God in that language, a wonderful counselor. I don't know if you've ever been to a counselor. I've been to a counselor. When you need help, you need help. But when you go visit a wonderful counselor, you know what they do? They, they create an atmosphere of safety, and then they ask you questions to help you heal. And here God is to Cain, a wonderful counselor, and he's basically asking Cain, Cain, do you want to go to the next level of hurt, or do you want to go to the next level of healing? (laughs) That's a pretty powerful question. So here it is, verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, 
Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now, if you don't see that God is here in the mode of a wonderful counselor, that, that sounds accusatory. Like, why are you there? That's not what's happening. Notice what, notice what God does. Cain, I see your anger, Cain. Cain, I see your face. Cain, I see you. That's a phrase that's getting thrown around a lot today is when someone sees us, right? And this is what God's saying to Cain. Cain, I see you. Notice what God doesn't say here. God doesn't say, I see what you've done, and how could you? That's, That's not what God says. I see you. And he's asking, like a wonderful counselor, Cain, why are you hurting? Now, what God does here is very instructive because God opens up two doors. I don't know if you see the two doors in the text, two doors for dealing with loss of control in our life. I I hope you see them. Door number one is in verse seven. He says, okay, Cain, it's the right door. It's the healthy door. It's the good door. He says, okay, Cain, well, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He doesn't doesn't mean, hey, Cain, if only you had done better. Uh, You did wrong, Cain, so this is on you. Mm -mm. The verb tense of the language there is, is God is saying, okay, so that happened. So now what will you do? You got served the divorce papers, so now what will you do? The person you love told you they don't love you anymore, so now what will you do? The diagnosis comes, so now what will you do? You get a pink slip, so now what will you do? Your kids won't call you, so now what will you do? You realize you're an alcoholic, so now what will you do? God's saying to Cain, will you right now, will you take the right course of action? And, and the word right there, it's, it's the same thing in the New Testament when, when we read about how Jesus went around doing good. It's the, it's the good path. It's the well path. And he says, if you do that, then won't you be accepted? And the word there means to be exalted or raised. So here's, here's what God's saying to Cain. Cain, if you do well in this moment, you will rise from this moment. Do you want to rise or do you want to sink? (laughs) What is God trying to do? God is trying to help Cain dissolve his anger. Well, then then there's another door. It's door number two. It's in verse seven. And it's how sin tricks you when life is out of control. And and God describes it. He says, okay, but if, if you do not do, if you don't go on that path, Cain, you need to understand, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That's a very interesting word. Crouching, it, 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 the, the implication is of a big cat, like a leopard, you know? And I don't know if you've ever been around, like at the zoo, or if you've been on like a safari, and you've seen one of those big cats, and they crouch, you know? Why, why do they crouch? Well, they crouch because they're trying to hide themselves and minimize themselves, so if you see them, you might think, oh, that's, that's like nothing's really getting ready to happen. But what's happening, I mean, they're, they're not like the James Bond. This is not a James Bond villain. You know, you know how James Bond, the villain at the end, always exposes himself, and he's like, ha, 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 James Bond, you will not. Like, no, 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 it's not that. In plain view, it's like, no, 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 that's not how sin works. It's not, you're not going to see it. It's going to be this thing off to the side. You won't even see it coming. Because why does the leopard crouch? To spring on you. And you won't even know that it was there. it's going to have you. And so God's saying, listen, Cain, there's doors here in this moment when you feel out of control. 
If you go this way, you rise. If you go through, but if you go through that door, Cain, I mean, it might feel good, but it's not going to be good. And, and you might go through that door, and there might be short-term satisfaction, but I promise there's long-term suffering. Cain, don't, don't go down the dead-end path to fill, your, to fill your hunger. Now, you and I have to pause here, because this is a story about us, right? What are your inciting incidents? And what will you do with them? What, what have you done with them? Current, what are you doing with it right now? Now, we, we, you have to notice what Cain does and, and then why he does it because Cain, here's what God says to him. He's in, he's in his emotion. He doesn't know what to do with his emotion. God offers him a better way but he decides, this is how tr sin tricks us, he assumes the only way to avoid the fear in his heart is to take full and complete control because he does not trust that what God has for him is good. So, verse 8, now Cain said to his brother, right? He's heard what, heard what God said. Two doors. Cain says to his brother Abel, hey, Abel, let's, uh, let's go out to the field. And while they're out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. After Easter, we're going to start a series called The Heart of Christianity, and we're going to revisit the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus gave his, all his statements about the, the, the things that just kick the slats out of the lives of people where he said, now you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And when, when Jesus talks about anger, he, he says, listen, now you, you've heard it said don't kill. I, I'm, I'm saying to you, don't even waste your time getting angry because if you trace, if you trace the roots of murder, what, it always comes back to anger, and if you trace the roots of anger, it always comes back to a loss of control from an inciting incident. Now, notice again, God is here in the story, and, and the Bible, very frankly, is, when you read it, is trying to tell you what your life can be with God in it. And we are living in the story of what our life is like if, our, if we are on our own. And here in the story, God comes again to Cain, and he's trying to point out to him, he says, listen, uh, to Cain, he says, where's your brother? Anytime God asks a question, he's, he's not digging for information that he doesn't know. He's trying to help you understand and ask, do you see what's happening here? He's trying to lead Cain to see his ask, and he's asking him to see. Now, notice what Cain does. It's, it's the prototypical response. It's the prototype human response. <laughs> I don't know, right? Outright lie. And then you move from an outright lie to where you try to justify. And then he's like, well, I'm my, bro I'm my brother's keeper. I mean, it's like, not my job anyway. Come on. We justify ourselves. And then, then the Lord's like, okay, well, let me put your face right in this. Uh, what is it that you've done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. His brother's blood is asking for justice, and he's asking for something to be done. Now, we're going to read in a few verses in, in verse 12 where we find out that as a result of this, Cain becomes what the text calls a restless wanderer. Here's how one commentator said it. Cain is a lesson. We are miserable not because of what has happened to us, but how we choose to respond to what happens to us. Ooh. And so then there's this curse, you know, hey, Cain, this is gonna, life's going to be difficult now that you've gone down this path for you. 
Now we could end we could end the we could end it right there, right? At verse twelve and not go on to verse thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. And and then we, the question might be, well, is, I mean, like, is that it? Uh, like, is that is that what God does? You know, you you have an inciting incident, you feel something, and God offers you doors, and you pick the wrong door, and then God says, "Hey, you're cursed." You know, we we would say, you know, sucks to be you, buddy. Or except we might say it nicely, sucketh to be thee, friend. You know. Like, And, and, and honestly, the, the religious answer to that question is, well, yeah, that's how God operates, and, and you screwed up, and so you suffer the consequences, and what God does is he gets involved in expediting the punishment for what you've done wrong. But I want you to see, because there's more, I want you to see what happens in verse 13. So Cain comes to the Lord, and he's, you know, suffering the consequences of killing his brother, and he says to the Lord, he says, my punishment is more than I can bear, in verse 13. Now, I want you to understand, Cain, Cain right here is not, he's not repenting. He's not going, ah, you know, I, I feel the weight of my choice, and I'm so sorry this happened in the first place, and I'm so sorry I went down that path. This should have never happened. That's not what he's doing. All Cain is sorry for is that he got caught. Have you ever been there? Like, you don't, you're like, I just... I wish I, I mean, I'm like, that happened, but I'm just sorry I got caught. I'm not actually sorry that I went down that path. <laughs> Have you ever been in that place? And I want you to see, because this is important, I want you to see the tender mercy of God, because this is what God does when we're out of control. He says to Cain, okay, I, I see that. It's more than you can bear. And I, I promise you, Cain, no one's going to touch you. I'll pay them back. And then verse 15, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. We're Christians, and so when we read the Old Testament, we read it in light of Jesus. And so when we read a verse like that, I don't know where your mind goes, but here's what my mind goes. I, I go to Ash Wednesday. If you came to the Ash Wednesday service, you know that at the end of the service, you come down front and someone has a mixture of oil and ash, and they, you stand in front of that person, and they make the sign of, they make a mark on you, uh, the sign of the cross, from dust you came to dust you returned. I like to think that that was the mark. It was the mark of the cross. Because this is the gospel. It's the news about what God has done. And when we find out what God has done, that tells us what God is like. And what we find out God is like is that God acts for our good, even when we act for our own hurt. Are you hearing that? Oh, man. The cross is the mark on you. Now, I, I know that some of you, when you hear the word gospel, um, you, you've heard that word a lot, and maybe what you think when you hear that is, oh, that means like the minimum entrance requirement to get me into heaven. It's like the passcode. And I said the passcode, and and, but I just need you to understand if that's as your depth understanding of the gospel, it's very shallow, and it's, it doesn't have any power to change your life right now because the gospel is the action that God is taking right now on your behalf based on his character. And when you screw it up royally, God gives great grace even more royally. The apostle Paul says that in Romans. He says, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. In other words, the grace of God is a well that's so deep the, the, the bucket of your life can't hit the bottom, right? It's, you, you lower the bucket down and the rope stops on the bucket of your life. There's still more grace underneath that. That's the gospel. And so when you feel out of control and you don't know how to handle it and you're angry and you're depressed, 
I mean, if, if, if God's just like you and me, I mean, uh-oh, right? But the gospel is what God's like. Here's, here's how the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 12. He's referencing this story. He says, you have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Listen, the gospel. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What, what, is, what does Abel's blood say again? You know, there needs to be justice. There needs to be vengeance. Something has to be done. What does the blood of Jesus say? All oh, the grace and mercy of God is available to you. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you can see through this series that, you, that really your satisfaction is God's product, project. It's, it's on God. And when your life is out of control, how, how do you deal with your anger? When you're anger, angry at yourself, when you're angry at the world, when you're angry at your circumstances, how do you deal with that? Well, Here's the, here's, the, here's the heart of the story. Is that you deal with it with the grace and mercy of God. And right there in the grace and mercy of God, you find healing and forgiveness and patience begins to grow. Right there. I want to invite you to pray with me. We're going to sing a couple songs and I'm going to give you a way to respond. But would you, before we do that, I'll explain that in just a second. I want to invite you to to pause and pray with me. Lord, uh, this is so, so human. We, every person in this room, to some degree, knows what it's like to feel out of control. We don't like that feeling. Lord, we, we are aware, most of us in this room, how at times we've been offered the doors and we've chosen the wrong door. Thank you that your mercy and your grace is on the other side of that door too and that we can still find it on the other side of that door. Some of us are deep into it. We've gone through that door a long way, Lord. Would you help us to see that in this moment you're asking, you're asking for us, you're, you're calling us to your grace and to your mercy that the mark is on us, the mark of the cross, the mark of the gospel, it's on us. That your blood on the cross that speaks a word of grace and mercy to us is available to us way through that door. So Lord, you who see us, who, who know when we sit and know when we rise, who know a thought before it's on our tongue, who know our, uh, our going out and our coming in, the psalmist says. We recognize we're in full view of you. So help us to move toward you, the God of grace and mercy today. We pray this in your name.